Ragamuffin Gospel, and it's a three-part message. So this is the first part, and this is about Jesus going home. It's about a prophet who has no honor in his hometown. So here we have Jesus arising, arriving at a place where he grew up, and he's being cut down to size, so to speak. Have you ever heard the saying, crabs in boiling water pull each other down in the pot? Have you guys heard that before? Okay, so basically it's a phenomenon that occurs when you have a bunch of crabs. You guys should know this, you're humble people. And a boiling <laughs> big, big pot, and one crab like acts like he's trying to escape because the water's starting to get hot, he wants to get out or whatever. And the other crabs grab him and bring him back down into the water. Now, I looked this up because I've heard this saying before, and it's basically used in kind of a pop psychology way to describe human behavior and what we do to each other, especially to those that we love and know the best in our lives. It's this type of, you, if you're doing better, if you're getting successful, getting ahead in the world, those who know you the best will typically cut you down to size and make sure you know your place. So I was interested in this because I thought, is this a real phenomenon or whatever? So I went online, of course, Google, and um, found that lots of people were basically saying the crab phenomenon in crab world is not a real thing because crabs are instinctual. They're not thinking beings trying to pull each other back down into the pot. They're just instinctively reacting to the fact of their situation and they're all trying to get out of the pot. So they're all grabbing each other and hauling each other back down. Notwithstanding the fact that the crabs aren't really pulling each other down, I think we can all relate to the fact that when we go home, when we return to that place where people know us the best and really know who we are, so to speak, because they knew us when we were growing up, they knew our, our faults, our you know, things we did bad, that time that we maybe peed in our pants in kindergarten or whatever, you know, those situations where you can't escape from them, that phenomenon is a reality. We cannot escape those places, especially our hometowns, where the people who know us so-called the best will try to always keep us in our place. So that's essentially what I see happening here. I think what's happening is Jesus is returning to that place that he grew up in. Everyone knows him. They know his brothers. They know his sister. They know his dad. And they're saying, hey, you know what? This guy's pretty interesting. He's saying a lot of cool things, but wait a second, like whispering in the side, isn't this the guy that, you know, has these sisters? Isn't this the guy that's just a carpenter? Isn't he somebody that's just like us? So basically they're trying to pull him back down into the place where they are. Now, I think this is kind of an interesting scenario because right before we read this portion of the scripture. If you recall, Bethany did a message, I think it was two weeks ago, and it was about the demon-possessed man who was restored to full health. Basically, the, the demons left, he was better, he got in a healthy place mentally, all this stuff. And what did Jesus tell him to do? Does anybody remember? Marta? To go back home. To go back home. So here we have this situation where Jesus is basically telling those that he heals to return home. But it almost feels like Jesus didn't totally know what he was saying because he goes back home. No one listens to him. They all tell him, you know, we know who you are. You're just like us. Cut him down to size. He can't do miracles in that place. So why would he do that? I mean, that's just, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm just throwing that out. I just wonder why would he send 
Or why would he himself go back home when he kind of, I think, would have some idea of what home is going to be like for him? So next slide. Someone want to read just two verses? Jesus called the twelve to him and sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority and power to deal with the evil opposition. So this is part two, then, of the story. This is where I think Jesus sort of moves from that idea of the family of origin to the chosen family. So I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but just that idea that you can rebuild your family by those people that you choose in your lives, and they can become the real family for you. You know what I mean? And I think that's a very powerful thing in the church, right? Like, we have this idea that we can actually start all over and rebuild healthy people into our lives that will help us to realize our true identity in Christ, which I think is actually a very powerful thing. I'm like totally on board with your reaction. But I also feel that there's a situation that happens in the church where our so-called chosen family, the family that we make our own, is also a dysfunctional family. <laughs> so it's, it's a great idea that we're rebuilding this family from, uh, uh, you know, basically out of those we meet. But unfortunately, the people that we meet in the church are just like our family of origin. Amen. They have hurts. They have hang-ups. They have stuff they need to work on, just like us, just like me. So here we're stuck with this idea that Jesus is like just been kind of cut down to size by his family of origin. He's rebuilding his chosen family or the disciples around him. But they're just regular people. They're just what I want to call ragamuffins. Can we go to slide three or four? Next slide. Who wants to read this one? Haley. He sent them off with these instructions. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You need <coughs> equipment. No special appeals for funds. Keep it simple. And no luxury ends. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. If you're not welcome, not listen to, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. Then they were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointed their, anointing their bodies, and healing their spirits. So this is what I'm calling the ragamuffin gospel. Um, and it's not a word that I came up with. Um, if any of you have ever heard of a man named Brennan Manning. Yes. So good. Woo, I agree. He's a great writer, speaker, and teacher. He actually passed away in his 70s in 2012-ish, I think. Um, but basically, he really is a person that greatly influenced my Christian faith, especially when I was in college, because I was brought up in the Christian church from the time that I was very young, and I had this idea that Christians were supposed to be perfect, and we were supposed to be... <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I was surrounded by imperfect people. But basically this idea that we're all striving to be the best we can be. So we put forward a persona that is that perfect person. So that is kind of what I grew up in. That's what I grew up understanding and living in. And when I went off to Christian college, I realized that was so not the truth. You know, really I was surrounded by people with hurts, hang-ups, and stuff they needed to work on, people who were just as damaged and messed up as everyday people, um, just pe 
people that were basically similar to our imperfect family, those we grew up around, those that maybe labeled us in a certain way and we labeled them in a certain way. So, and I came upon Brennan Manning when I was sort of in this place of searching, and he really speaks very um, strongly about this group of people called the Ragamuffins. And these are basically regular people, just like you and me, who've been called to, to spread God's message, essentially, in the world, but we're imperfect people, and we do it in an imperfect way. So I... I was really struck by that because I was realizing in the church we're full of basically this messed up situations, broken situations, but yet God calls us and gives us this message to hand out to the world. And how are we supposed to do that if we're all messed up and we're giving this message to people that maybe are hurting too, but we're not doing it as perfect people, you know? So like... That's where I got kind of stuck, and I was like, well, I thought I was supposed to be perfect to hand off this message, you know? That's where I I didn't know exactly how to do that. But I wanted to read something from here. Um, it's really powerful. This is actually the Ragmuffin um, Gospel Book and Visual Edition. Archie wanted me to plug that he found this at his cheap bookstore in Burbank that he loves, because he's brought that up before. <laughs> very important that you know where this book came from. <laughs> so um, this is a good section that I just want to read to you from this. Brennan, 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 yeah, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, Manning, says, like many Christians today, Luther, and he's talking about Martin Luther, Reformation guy, Luther wrestled with the night, through the night with this core question, how could the gospel of Christ Rightly be called good news if God is a righteous judge who rewards the good and punishes the evil. Did Jesus really come to reveal that terrifying message? How could the revelation of God in Christ be accurately called news since the Old Testament carried the same theme, or for that matter, good with a threat of punishment hanging like a dark cloud over the valley of history? Luther suddenly, I'm skipping a little bit, but Luther suddenly broke through to the insight that the righteousness of God that Paul spoke of in this passage was not the righteousness by which God was righteous in himself, which would be a passive righteousness, but the righteousness by which, for the sake of God, Jesus Christ, God made sinners righteous, that is, active righteousness, through the forgiveness of sins and justification. It's a stunning truth. Justification by grace through faith is the theologian's learned phrase for what Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, also a writer, once called the furious love of God.